Welcome to the Royal Christian Centre Sermon Podcast. We as a church are very blessed to be able to spend time week by week by week opening up the Word of God and discovering, surprise, surprise, that there's always something worth reading there. And I don't know whether that comes as a shock to you, but it's true. And um, uh, at the moment, uh, we're finding ourselves in uh, just really a single chapter of the Bible, Exodus chapter 20 it is. And what you'll find there are some of uh, the most uh, well-known, I guess, words in the Bible, for they are the Ten Commandments. And uh, you may have learned a bit about them at school. You may even be able to remember a few of them. Um, I'm not going to test you. Uh, at least not for a few weeks yet, and then we'll figure it out. Um, but what we're doing is we're finding, as we go through them one by one by one, and tonight uh, we're looking at the fourth of our journey through the Ten Commandments, is that God both um, prevents us from our worst impulses, our most stupid moments. Has anyone ever had a stupid moment in life? Uh, so confession is good for the soul, they say. Um, regularly but he prevents us from the things that we might do would do have done on occasion maybe more than occasion truth be told he prevents us from doing these things by means of his law more in fact than his law we'll find out in a moment but as well as preventing us from what is worst he opens up to us the possibility of what is best God's intent for you, his intention for your life is not that it would be half-hearted or partial or, uh, you know, meaningful on occasion. God intends for you to have life in all its fullness. That's the promise of God. And uh, I suspect that we don't entirely believe him. But when God says something, he means it. Uh, I suggest to you, and I'm suggesting to myself as I say it, that when we sing songs like we've sung, all to Jesus, I surrender. If we took ourselves at our own word and actually did that, then we would find that God is as good as his word. I think the problem all too often is that we, uh, we hear the words of God but there comes a tentativeness, a fear within us, maybe the pride of self. And we fail to trust God with all of our lives. If you don't trust God with all of your life, then you will not benefit from all of the life God has for you. If you are partial with God, don't be surprised if your experience of God is partial. Does that make sense? I think it makes perfect sense. It comes as a challenge, but there's a promise and opportunity there. Now, tonight... Um, I've taken the liberty this week of uh, flipping the next two uh, commandments that we were going to look at this week. You'll know if you were here last week that we're journeying from the outside in. And uh, I don't know whether that means it's going to get better and better and better. Uh, You can be the judge of that. Uh, Don't tell me if it gets worse and worse and worse. But uh, the purpose of journeying in this direction is much like uh, a solar system, as it was laid out to me on one occasion. We are journeying in towards the sun. In this instance, we're journeying into Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. And we are journeying into his brilliance and his glory, the glory of God, the glory of the one and only, the Bible says, full of grace and truth. Wow. And uh, it would be our intention over these weeks to see God in that way. 
And as God perhaps strips away uh, some of the things that have accumulated to us like limpets on the bottom of a boat, we'll sail with better speed and with better direction and uh, we'll find ourselves getting where we want to go all the quicker, all the better and all the happier. Today, as I say, we've flipped our two commandments around, which uh, for you who have come in the evening, you will find that is a blessing in disguise. Because this morning, Pastor Greg, uh, poor fella that I am, had to talk about sex quite a lot. But tonight, I will not at all. So you can breathe a deep sigh of relief. And if you want to um, listen to uh, this morning's sermon, which was on the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, you can listen to that on the podcast in the privacy of your own home, not have to look at anybody at any point through any of it and spare yourself any blushes. Uh, So you've absolutely nailed it today by coming in the evening. But as we look at um, the other commandments that we otherwise would have looked at this morning, Thou shalt not steal, or you shall not steal, or just stop stealing, you divvy. However you want to translate the Bible, you will find as well, and I think we will all find, that God speaks just as powerfully to our hearts. I suspect as we open up the word of God, we will find him cutting us to the quick, just as he might on any subject. God wants to speak to our hearts. He wants to reform our hearts. He wants us to have hearts. Here's the promise of it. He wants us to have hearts even like his own hearts. That good. I don't know about you, but when I consider my own heart, I know it's not there yet. I know it's better than it was yesterday. That's the grace of God. I know it's much better than it was this time last year. You thought my heart was good last year. but It's a lot better now. And this is all the work of God within me, the word of God, the spirit of God. If you'll open yourselves up to those two, God will do a miracle in your life. Now, our commandment, um, and if you want to find it in Exodus 20, you can. Uh, You'll find it there in verse 15. You shall not steal. You say, well, Pastor Greg, I think you've pretty much covered that there. It's quite obvious Um, There's really not much else to say about that. Um, How about we sing some more? That was really nice just before. Uh, I don't disagree with you. Uh, We'll get there in a bit. But I think God perhaps wants to speak to us a little more. I wonder if we go too quickly, read these words and don't give them their weight. Don't allow them to have gravity. You imagine we're being pulled towards the sun, aren't we? That kind of gravity. If we don't let them have their gravity within our lives, we'll soon find ourselves not really paying attention much to the Bible at all, not paying much attention to God at all, which raises a question, why pay attention to God? Why pay attention to the Bible? Why pay attention to these 10 commandments? Uh, You know, many of you come week in, week out, I know, I recognize your faces, and uh, you say, well, that's a stupid question, Greg. Of course we know why to pay attention to the Bible. Well, you know, it's not a gimme. Within our society, within our world, truth is, although people might say nice things about the Bible until they open up and find it smacks them square between the eyes, people don't pay attention to the Word of God. In fact, most people don't believe it's the Word of God. A very clever man, a philosopher named Bertrand Russell, he said this about life and the meaning of it all. He said, when I die... I will be consumed by darkness. There is no splendor, no vastness anywhere. Life is only triviality for a moment and then nothing. 
He sounds like a cheery bloke, doesn't he? You'd like to have him around for dinner, wouldn't you? His viewpoint, his worldview was that there was no point in paying attention to anything or anybody anywhere because nothing had meaning, least perhaps of all the Bible. But you know, when he, on another occasion, was challenged about the idea, the essence of Christianity, he was known to say, I wish I could believe. I wish I could believe. We've talked often recently, haven't we, about the restlessness of the human heart. It's not by accident, it's by design. Our hearts are made to find their rest in God. And when we feel that, when we sense that, it's worthwhile listening to what God has to say about coming close to him, knowing his love, being transformed by his grace, living with him now and forever. We feel the inadequacy of a worldview without God in so many different ways. But with reference to this commandment, we might feel it in 101 ways. When I read um, as I was preparing for this evening about the corruption in world economies, which cost, would you believe, 5% of global GDP is lost to corruption. You might say, well, I think it's a bit more, actually, Pastor. I don't know. But that's by one estimate. 5% just gone. People working hard, but then it frittered away with corrupt practices. Cybercrime, a new version of thieving, costing $1 trillion every single year. I don't even know how many noughts that is after a one. Does anybody... What's a... You can't even imagine such numbers, can you? One trillion dollars taken off people just like you and me every single year. Economic crime as a category costs in the UK alone 73 billion pounds. It's a staggering number in itself, isn't it? And that's setting aside all the sorry stories of elderly people conned and tricked. We read them in our newspapers most weeks, don't we? of vulnerable people in our society having what is theirs rightly stolen from them. We hear of violence used to snatch people's belongings, but worse still, leave fear in its place. And folks who feel afraid to walk down the street for worry of having things taken from them. When we read of such a world, I don't know about you, but within me comes a longing for a better world. A better world, in fact, I think this commandment speaks into. You shall not steal is not just a good idea. It's a window that opens into a better world. Because it's true that there is a world where people steal. But it's true also that there could be a world where people don't. I remember as a kid on a holiday, and I forget where it was, somewhere in the UK, and it was one of these um, caravan holidays that we went on as kids. Um, normally, uh, you know, in the, in the best bits of the British weather, uh, February, you know, or October, and you'd be guaranteed sunshine, obviously, at such times of the year. Uh, but we would go places in our lovely caravan where we could entertain ourselves with various sights and, uh, and sounds and 
hopefully not too many smells, but uh, we would entertain ourselves around the country with such things. And I remember on one occasion, we went to uh, one of these National Trust properties and, uh, and we went around it and had a look at all the nice things. And uh, you're pitying me now as a child, aren't you, that I had to go and do these things. But there we went and we went around these things. And as a kid, I liked to collect things. Did anybody have any collections when they were younger? Uh, do anybody have any collections now? Uh, yeah, a few people. You like to collect things. I love to collect things. I collected all sorts of things. For a while, I collected these die-cast models of Formula One cars. They were amazing. I absolutely loved them. This is a glimpse into what makes me the person that I am. It's not a happy place, but uh, you, know, you, you love me nonetheless. And for an awful long time, I used to collect key rings. You know, those little key fobs? And I would collect them from various places with different kind of things of meaning on them. There's probably sacks of them in my parents' uh, loft. Probably, the house is probably due to fall down, the amount that there were in there. And for a little while as well, I used to collect books and boxes of matches. Do you remember this? You know, when... <laughs> It's sad to say, it's probably when people smoked a lot more, but uh, you don't really see them around anymore, do you? But you used to get them everywhere. Restaurants would have them, wouldn't they, on the table with a little description of that place. And you would go somewhere that was, you know, some site or, you know, some kind of point of interest. And there'd always be like a book or a box of matches that you could collect. And I collected them as well. I had no idea about the fire hazards as a child. But I had dozens and dozens of these. And I remember coming through this National Trust property. And of course, when you get to the end of the National Trust property, you don't just get to go straight out and play in the gardens. You have to go through the gift shop because they know what they're doing, don't they? And uh, they know they're going to make some money this way. And we wandered through the gift shop and I saw a great big pile, I think it was a castle, if I remember rightly, of these box of matches with a picture of a castle on. And if you're like, you know, a six or seven year old lad, there isn't much that's better in the world than a castle. Um, you might say if you're a 60 or a 70 year old man, there's not much better than a castle either. And you'd probably be right. And so I saw this box of matches and it grabbed my attention. I thought, I like castles. I like matches. I'm going to get one of them. And I picked it up and I put it in my pocket. And off we went. And we went back to our caravan. And there we were, and you know, we were getting ready for dinner, and I emptied my pockets onto the table, and, and my dad saw this box of matches, and uh, he saw something that I maintain to this day I did not see, uh, which was the price label on the back of the box of matches. And I genuinely don't think that I saw it. I don't think it was a kleptomaniac, I'm not sure. But uh, there it was, and uh, I was made to understand to the very depths of my being, that taking things that are not yours is not right. Now, I would have been okay accepting that as a life lesson, but do you know what happened? We had to go and take it back. Now, that's not fun. And ingrained within me was the sense that stealing, taking what is not yours, even doing so, as I maintain, accidentally <laughs> was not right I didn't take much convincing to be honest because deep down within me I knew it was true and in spite of embarrassment or inconvenience or the, the loss of that box of matches which I really did want 
I knew that it was right to return, was not mine. And you read these great stories of people being cruelly used and mistreated through theft and other such robbery in our world, and you know instinctively it's not right. You read those huge numbers, they're almost unimaginable, aren't they, of all of the theft and the robbery and the stealing that goes on in various ways in our world, and you know instinctively it's not right. You know, there might be a piece of us that says, I wish I could have a piece of that money, but uh, deep down inside we say it's not right. And God speaks into the people he has made us to be, and he says, I know that you know it's not right. I know that you're made for better. I know that there is a possibility of better. Would you like to know, God says to us, how you may live in a better world? Would you like to know, God says to you and me, how you can be a better person? I don't know about you, but I don't really want to hang out with that philosopher in nothingness and darkness. I'd rather follow my Jesus into a better world and be a better person and believe that there might be something more than the worst impulses and urges of the human brokenness. How might we find a better way? How might we find a better way to deal with possession, to deal with money, to deal with wealth, to deal with uh, plenty and lack? Humans have wrestled with this subject for, well, for all time, I guess. And I suppose on one end of the spectrum, uh, the capitalist might say, well, everything will find its way and sort itself out in the end. The trickle-down effect. That if we just create enough wealth, then everyone will get a piece. But it doesn't seem to be working out, does it? At least not without a huge amount of checks and balances to try and trammel that creative entrepreneurship into something better. On the other end of the spectrum, the arch-socialist will say, all property is theft. That's one way of looking at things. That it's not right that anybody should own anything. But all of the worldviews and the political systems that have come out of that, I think of communism in Russia and China and elsewhere, that hasn't really worked out either. Might God have a better way, a better word that he can speak into how we struggle to handle these things? Well, we find some of God's idea, some of God's wisdom in First Chronicles and chapter 29. And here we find David receiving offerings so that they can build a house for God. He's not going to be the one who's going to build the house. In fact, his son is going to build this temple, this place for God to dwell with his people. Uh, but he's receiving these offerings. And, you know, as, as we follow through this story, David has a really good sense of what's happening as people give. They're giving out of the overflow of their hearts. They're giving, as Ronald mentioned earlier, with joy and with generosity, not because of obligation. We heard that again this morning as well. And in verse 11 of this chapter, the Bible tells us, and David prays, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honour come from 
you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. David was a a warrior king and he had achieved incredible things. But here he's recognizing everything I've done. It's really just the gift of God. It's from his hand. That's where it's come from. People are bringing incredibly generous gifts. They're they're wanting to offer something that is of worth. And David here is saying, that's amazing that you're doing so because you're recognizing everything you have has come from God. What did it say? Both riches and honor come from you. There's nothing wrong with ownership. But what we ought to recognize is that God rightfully owns everything. Everything. There's nothing that you will see. There's nothing that you will savor. There's nothing that you will own. There's nothing that you will earn that is not already God's. And the Bible teaches us that this is the right way to view all possession. This is the right way to view all prosperity. This is the right way to view how we deal with what we have. It's God's first. We are simply stewards of what God has and what God chooses to bless us with. How are we supposed to take good care of what God gives to us? Well, God doesn't want to leave us in the dark. And as God opened out that commandment, you shall not steal, he gives us a lot more instruction. In Leviticus chapter 19, we find these words about how we're supposed to deal with what we have. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. The gleanings are all those little extra bits that didn't get scooped up in the first place. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, that is, people who are in your land but not of your land. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. I don't know whether they're earning interest or something. Yeah. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Are you getting the sense? Justice, a right way of dealing with all that we have and all that we are, flows from God himself. You want to be right with God? Be right with your neighbor. You want to be right with God? 
Well, be right with one another. You want to be right with God? Be right with your employees or be right with your boss. You want to be right with God? Well, stop cheating, stop stealing, stop double dealing or speaking with a split tongue. God speaks powerfully into our worst urges. And with regard to possessions, God is asking us to steward, to curate them well. This time of the year, it's conquer season, isn't it? Does anybody like conquer season? Oh, you're a grumpy and miserable lot, honestly. Um, do you know what I'm talking about when I talk about conquer season? For those of you who perhaps haven't grown up in the UK, this is a special moment for you now. You can thank me later. Uh, what happens in the United Kingdom is from the horse chestnut tree, is that right? Uh, are these wondrously spiky little balls of wonder. Don't grab them, you will regret it. But at a certain time of the year, they will fall from the tree because they are ripe. And they'll open up all of their own accord. And within, you shall find the most perfect little mahogany-coloured, beauteous bundle of joy. And you can take it out. And you can soak it in vinegar or bake it in the oven or uh, paint it with Tipex and then colour it brown so no one knows. Uh, that's a cheat. Don't do that. Uh, but then you drill a little hole through said conker and put it onto one of your old shoelaces. And then you stand in the playground because health and safety laws can just go hang. And, uh, and you swing the conker at your mate's conker with the great joy of potentially making contact. And if you smash their conker, that's good. But if you knock their conker off their, off their shoelace, that's even better because you get to keep their conker. Yeah? Oh, goodness. This is, this is how we grew up once upon a time. And... Um, Conkers, absolutely magnificent. They fall down, they fall down. It's great, 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 great. But what I have discovered, I don't remember doing this as a child, but people nowadays, they just can't wait. And they're always knocking the conkers off the tree before they're ready. It's an absolute abomination, I think. I'm sure there's a commandment about it in the Bible. And uh, there they are knocking these conkers down and they're useless. They can't be used for anything. They haven't grown properly. They're not good enough. And as I think of such a thing, I'm reminded of what we just read in the Bible. We have a tendency to think that we're entitled. We have a tendency to see the plenty of creation. We have a tendency, should we find ourselves in personal times of plenty, to think, it's mine. It's mine. We can't wait. We can't leave. We can't share. We're like a kid who can't wait for the conquer to be ready, but we smack it down and now it's useless for everybody. And the Bible teaches so clearly, everything is God's. What you have is by his providence. It's because of his favor and his care. So share. So share. So take care of those who are poor and needy in your community. So share with those who have less than you. The Bible makes it incredibly plain here. And the Bible says that this kind of attitude flows from God. He finished every sentence, not with a full stop, but by saying, I am the Lord your God. I think he's trying to get our attention here. God says what you have is because I put it there. I put it there. 
We quoted some big numbers before, but let's get down to brass tacks. Society doesn't steal. People do. And people create the kind of society that is unjust. The kind of society that steals from some to give to those who really don't need any more. Ephesians 4 and verse 28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, work, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The Bible here is making plain there's only three ways to get stuff in life. Either you work for it, or somebody gives it to you out of the goodness of their heart, or you nick it. And stealing things is not right. God has made a means for many of us, all of us, perhaps, to be able to contribute, to be able to work, to be able to earn, to be able to offer something that God has already placed within you and to be creative, to contribute in some way. But God has also made a means for those who are able to contribute in certain ways to be able to create in certain ways, to share with those who can't in those ways. This is God's right order. Work, earn, share. It's incredibly simple when you boil it down, doesn't it? Instead, we twist it and turn it, and we think that the working of our own intelligence or our own strength is all our own doing, so why should we share? Or rather, we think, well, actually, we need systems that prefer me over another person. I tell you, that's a form of stealing. There's no room for it. There's no place for it in God's economy. We think we provide for ourselves. We talk about these idiotic ideas of the self-made man. There's no such thing. Who is it who gives a man intelligence? Who is it that gives a woman strength? Who is it that gives a child opportunity? This is the providence of God. Absolutely, you may hone your intelligence, you may apply your strength, you may make the most of your opportunities, and God bless you for doing so. But please recognize it is God's providence that put you in that place in the first place. So honor God with what you have. Ultimately, we don't need to steal, for God will provide all that is needed to trust in him and all that is needed through trust in him to become like him, to become generous like him. There's a reason why you like generous people. It's because it's part of the character of God. All the way through the Bible, and we don't have time to pick up all of these passages, but the prophets over and over again would challenge the people of God because they were really good at doing religious stuff, but they were really bad at honoring God's generous heart. In the book of Isaiah, for instance, we find God completely dismissing all of their religious observance, the complicated routines and ceremonies that they would have in order to try and impress God. And he said to them, actually, come on, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. And God speaks into a world that is broken. He speaks to hearts that once were broken. And he says, come on. I'm healing you. Why do you think 
so that you may bring healing to others. I'm providing for you. Why do you think this is? So that you can share that provision with another. Learn to do right. A commandment comes and it speaks to us because it's not just what we do that might offend God. It's not just if you should steal. I guess it's fairly unlikely that we would find ourselves stealing. Although sometimes we can bend the rules, I think. I don't think it's that uncommon for people to wander out with a ream of paper from the office saying, well, they don't pay me enough, I've earned this. You do hear about staples and paper clips and pens going missing all the time. Heck, people even nick the hot chocolate out of our welcome mugs. It's disgraceful, I don't know what to do. It's so easy to bend the rules. We talk about white lies, don't we? I don't know whether we talk about white stealing as well. I'm not sure, but just nicking a little. Oh, it doesn't really. Oh, maybe it doesn't. But it's not just acts of stealing that are offensive to God. It's not just what we do that may offend God. It's what we don't do. It's the fact that we hear the thou shalt not and we pat ourselves on the back because we're not as bad as other people. But we don't hear the thou shall that is written into this just as strongly. That God calls us to be people, not just of his blessing, but people who are a blessing. God wants us to join with him in generosity. He wants you to be right but he wants you to do what is right as well. When we come to Jesus and when we see how ultimately right he is, we realize it's a greater call than we can bear. The prophetic challenges that we might find in the Bible, they're purer than our broken hearts can meet, even though God is healing us. Again, we need Jesus. We, we came to this point this morning as we considered our hearts, and tonight you've got to do so again. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. We need God to be better than us and to make us better than our fallen selves. A preacher named John Stott once said, God is, God, God is a God of both justice and justification. That means that God is ultimately right. But if you'll humble yourself before him, he can make you right too. What a promise. What a possibility. All of that grasping sense of accumulation that sometimes infects our hearts. All of that pride in what we think we've done, what we've made, what we've accumulated. All these things that come and plague us and stop us from being generous and tempt us into this pattern, into this heart of theft. God, who has no heart like that, can change our hearts just the same. We're changed in order to bring change. Our perspective comes like God's perspective. In a world where people say charity begins at home, the Christian says the home is the place where we can do charity to all. It says that our neighbour is worth what we have. It says that anybody whether they be like us, whether they look like us, whether they speak like us, are worth just as much as we are. And there is no place for taking from them. Rather, there is every place for giving to them. 
We're called to be countercultural, to counter our culture with stewardship instead of stealing, with generosity instead of greed, with trust in God against the false idea of trusting ourselves. I wonder this evening, perhaps like me, with my matches, you need to return what isn't yours. Maybe that's the word of God to you this evening. It's not easy, it's embarrassing. Six-year-old is embarrassed by such a small thing, but we're grown-ups now, we're getting on a bit. Maybe our need to make restoration is actually a great deal more embarrassing. doesn't mean it's not right. Will you follow your God in making restoration? Perhaps you need to help somebody heal them with their fear that has come about through loss, through theft, through having what is theirs taken from them. Maybe you can be the means of their wholeness. Maybe perhaps you can help those who are blighted by the systemic theft of our society because don't fool yourself, our society does keep some people down and elevate others. Maybe you can help those who are kept down in our world, who are stolen from. Maybe not at the point of a gun, but in other ways. I read a story this week. I like a good story. And this story is about a man a long time ago, 800 years ago, 300 years before the Reformation even kicked off with Martin Luther. We're celebrating that this year, or at least I am. I don't know about you, but I'll be having a party. And um, 300 years before the Reformation really got going, there was a gentleman, I reckon you'll like his name because he was called Peter Waldo. That's a pretty fun name, I reckon. Um, well, we think he was called Peter Waldo. We're not entirely sure. We don't know whether Peter was his real name since it doesn't appear in any documents until 150 years after he died. I guess they didn't know his name, so they thought, let's just call him Peter. Um, and we don't entirely know what his last name is, but uh, we just call him Waldo. Uh, I guess somebody liked the sound of it. Um, but we do know some incredibly th- important things about him. In 1170, Waldo was a very wealthy, a very well-known merchant in the city of Lyon in France. He had a wife, two daughters, and lots of property. But something happened in his life. Something changed him. Some say he witnessed the sudden death of a friend. Others say he heard a spiritual song from a a man who was traveling through town. And this man, Peter Waldo, he became deeply troubled over the spiritual state of his soul and desperate to know how he could be saved. So the first thing he resolved to do was to read the Bible. But in those days, it was just in Latin. And he didn't know any Latin. So he hired a couple of guys. This is a good use of money. uh, So that they could translate the Bible and he could understand what it said. Next, he sought spiritual counsel from a priest who pointed him to the rich young ruler in the Gospels and quoted Jesus. One thing you still lack Sell all you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. Jesus' words pierced Waldo's heart. Like the rich young ruler, Waldo suddenly realized he had been serving mammon, money, 
the, the lust after possessions more and more and more. He'd been serving these things and not God. But unlike that rich young ruler who still walked away from God, from Jesus, Waldo repented and did exactly what Jesus said. He gave away everything he had to the poor after setting aside plenty for his wife and daughters. And from that point on, he, deserved, he determined to live in complete dependence on God for his provision. He began to preach this message and disciples started to follow him and the whole town, the whole city was changed. They started to call them the poor of Lyon. I don't think we'd entirely like to be called the poor of Birkenhead, would we? Uh, you'd think it was an offence, but it's because these people had got their heads screwed on. All of a sudden, they knew that they weren't supposed to be grasping after more. Rather, what they had, they should be giving away. And they followed this man, Waldo, and they pushed against the structures of the day because in those days, even the Catholic Church was a, a thieving institution, stealing from the poor. And he spoke out against these things. And who knows that when you speak out against power, power doesn't like it. This man, ultimately, he was excommunicated. He was run out of town. and His followers were scattered to the four winds. But do you know what wasn't scattered was uh, their ideas and their ideals. When the Reformation comes around, 300 years later, all of a sudden, those seeds of generosity, those windows into a better world that Peter Waldo and his followers had been looking through, they started to come again. They started to spring again out of the ground. And men and women, one after another after another, said, you know, I'm fed up with this world. I'm fed up with a world of injustice. I'm fed up with thinking that my life is about getting ahead and accumulating more and at the expense of others nine times out of ten. I'm fed up with thinking that I'm going to get what's coming to me. I'm going to get what's mine and who cares about anybody else. They said there is a better way. There is a better world. And do you know what? There's going to be a better me in that better world. I don't know how to get there in my own strength, but I know that if I trust in the strength of God, I can become that better me. And I desperately want to. You read the commandments. Thou shalt not steal. I wonder if we have a failure of imagination. And we think it means just don't nick things. And we're like, oh, that's easy. Tick. Come on. Do you really think that's all that God has for you? No. God wants you to avoid sin, but he wants you to know the abundance of his kingdom. All the more so. Don't steal. Absolutely fantastic. Great. But isn't there more? When you flip it on its head, what you find is not just a person who doesn't steal but perhaps wants to. When you flip it on its head, what you find is radical generosity. What you find is people who will wrestle with this world until they see something of God's world come into its place. What you find is people who say, I will not rest until my life and all the providence of God in it is the means for another person being blessed and coming to know the grace of God. Thou shalt not steal. Come on, Christians. Come on, Christians. If we're not generously giving the grace of God, we are all thieves. We are all thieves.
So I would challenge you this week. 800 years from now, people might not know your name. They might not know my name. They might say, we don't really know what his name was, so we'll call him Greg Waldo. It doesn't really matter, does it? But if my testimony was that they call me the poor of Birkenhead because what I have, I gave. If they call me the, the poor of Birkenhead and they remember me as a preacher who told people there was a better way, then that's all I need. Write a legacy, write a will. It really makes no odds whether there's a penny left in the bank when I'm gone or, or not. But what matters is whether I'm willing to give what I have in the days that God gives me so that other people may know his grace and his glory. When I stand before God, I don't want him to look at me and know within my heart that I'm a thief because I kept his grace and didn't give it. I might as well get myself on a moped and go and mug somebody. It's that bad. Christians, give. Give, 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 and then give some more. Give, 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 and then give some more of the grace of God. And if you're completely spent by the time you go to be with your maker, then you will have done it right. You will have done it right. That's what thou shalt not steal means. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps we read the Ten Commandments or we read other parts of the Bible and we we have the good sense to realize that it's too big for us. We're right. But Lord Jesus, I wonder if we then make our first misstep. Rather than throwing ourselves on your mercy and saying this is too great for us, God, would you help us? I wonder if we step back from your command and we start to make a smaller command. We step back from the fullness of your kingdom and we start to make a smaller kingdom. We step back from the possibilities of your generosity and we start to make an easier way. Lord Jesus Christ, it's perfectly possible for us to be thieves and robbers, stealing from one another what you have given to us so that we can give it. We're intended to bless. This is how you've made us. We're intended to rescue and redeem and lift people up from the dirt. This is how you've made us. Stealing isn't just taking things. Stealing is not recognizing that all things belong to you and that we are supposed to share your goodness. In fact, we're supposed to share the ultimate goodness of life in Jesus Christ. God, that we would repent from being thieves and that you would help us instead to be generous people.
God, that we would give everything we have, knowing that it is yours already. And that, Lord Jesus Christ, we will be able to see through that window into a better world. And that, God, we will be able to go there today, tomorrow, in the weeks and the months ahead. God, that we wouldn't delay, but that we would give all we have to get where only you can take us.